Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NELA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Amit Bindra. And I'm Max Barrick. I knew I'd gum me up. Trying to, yeah, it's tripped me up there. Appreciate it. I'm really excited today. We are speaking to a friend, a mutual friend of both Amit and myself, Charlie Franklin, who is a partner at Franklin Green Swag Shannon. Is it Shannon? And Shannon. Shannon. Shannon and Capilla LLC. Charlie of that group, Charlie focuses his practice on representations of individuals and businesses in commercial litigation and insurance matters, but also in licensing disputes and disciplinary proceedings in their industries. Charlie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's dive in because this is supposed to be an employment law podcast. So we got to at least pretend to connect it to that. You've got a really unique and successful practice in an area that I'm not that familiar with. So you work with individuals and entities in highly regulated industries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, you know, when you say individuals and, and, and practices and concerns, Illinois, for example, has over 400 professions where you need a license. And all of them, they range from, believe it or not, well, from the usual ones like lawyers and physicians and doctors, where you think they had to pass the bar, they had to take some exam, to hair braiders and barbers. They're all regulated and they all have different requirements. They all have different license rules and regulations. And for a lot of them, and as a result, just like if you have a driver's license, they get called in for a variety of reasons, sometimes innocuous. They feel that, you know, they slow when they go through a stop a stop sign to something else. And in this case where they forget to, they don't timely send in their change of address within 30 days. You know, they wait six months. They wait to when they're going to renew. They wait to something. But that can be a violation. Or they do something more serious where they've improperly done, they've done, they've engaged in some sort of improper behavior. But all of them get called in and all have effect, particularly if they have more than one license. So I help those people who get in those jams who get called in and have to get themselves out, protecting their livelihood, essentially. So, are, and you're typically working with individuals more than practices, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You do, because usually it, most, it's the individuals that are licensed. The companies may need some sort of certification or permission, but it's the individual that does the actual practicing, like a lawyer. Um, you guys are lawyers. You have the individual license as opposed to your firm. Your firm may have to be registered with the Supreme Court here in Illinois, for instance, but it's you, it's your license that's extended. It's you who's practicing law, not your firm. Are there any industries that you find yourself in most often? Or, I mean, you described, I think you said like 400 different licenses professionally yeah. you have in the state. So is it just, yeah. you know, each day is a new one or have you found yourself gravitating or spending a lot of time in one area? Well, we, we I would say in between lawyers, physicians and real estate professionals, and there are different kinds of real estate professionals. Those are the, those are the primary areas. I had this one where, where there was a hair braider no, I have gotten involved in that, but but you know, typically there it's the it's the professions you think about. You know, you see real estate brokers, real estate appraisers, real estate inspectors, mortgage brokers, um, things that they all get. You know, uh, and then attorneys and accountants and physicians or medically related 
personality because it's not just physicians. It can be nurses. It can be chiropractic physicians. It can be massage therapists. They all have different rules and regulations and they're all medical related. So are you dealing typically with the same issues across professionals or are they more industry specific? So for they example, are, yeah. believe it or not, they're more industry specific. Certain professions, they, they, with all of them, you can all get in trouble for violating the rules and they all have the same similar sanctions, whether it's a sank, whether it's a, a censure or a reprimand or a fine or a suspension or a revocation across the board. Those are the kinds of disciplines that they can get. But certain professions have certain triggers where if you do it, you're really going to be in trouble. This is in the, these are the most serious offense in this particular profession. For instance, with lawyers, and lawyers can engage in all kinds of improper behavior. Most don't. The great, great, great majority do not. But occasionally there are some bad apples or there's some people that misbehave. They, they may fail to report their CE. That can be serious, not serious, whatever. And CE is continuing education. But the most serious for a lawyer is taking money from trust account. You know, not documenting it properly and taking that money in the trust account, not being up to snuff. For a lawyer, that's the most serious transgression. You know, with, with all of them across the board, lying to the investigator, that, that's bad. But for lawyers, particularly if you take money from the trust account, if you miss the statute of limitations, if you did some sort of malpractice, if you engaged in some sort of improper behavior or something, those all may be bad, but the worst is taking money from the trust account. So whether, you know, and, and it's bad, whether it's $100, $10,000 or a million dollars, it's all bad and the penalties are all just as bad. So the moral is, if you're going to take, take a lot. But no, I'm just... <laughs> I love that moral. You know, let's, let's stick with attorneys for a second. Okay. Are you then representing them in the ARDC or is it in malpractice claims in no, like it, a circuit court? It can be both. I mean, typically it's the ARDC where you're, where you're representing them because those are the people that regulate the license. With attorneys, it's they're regulated by this. The, the, the ARDC makes a recommendation. They should be disbarred or they should be censured or they should be reprimanded, whatever. But it's the Supreme Court that ultimately votes and says yay or nay. And, and so you typically do that. But by and large, most of the practices that I have are before the Department of uh, Financial Professional Regulation, which when I said, you know, the Illinois is over foreign professions, all but I think uh, three are regulated by that. Though them being teachers, you know, are not and attorneys. And then you have certain kinds of financial brokers that would be regulated by the SEC or, or FINRA in, in response to them. But typically, the IDFPR, Department of Financial Professional Regulation, regulates almost all professions and businesses, funeral cemeteries. They regulate cemeteries. But it's the actual funeral directors, you know, those, those people that are the ones that actually have to be licensed. But, you know, I was saying before, physicians, physicians, the worst thing they can have is, is improper behavior towards their patient, meaning sex, you know, fondling, dentist, same thing, dentist. Those are, that's really bad. I mean, you can, uh, I don't want to say it's okay to be drunk. It's okay to chop off the wrong leg. It's okay to, you know, to, to show up intoxicated. It's not. But their worst ones are, you know, again, they look most severely at physicians who engage in improper sexual behavior. That's really bad. You know, for, for in, the, in the real estate profession, it's engaging in 
mortgage fraud, you know, real estate, whether it's an appraiser, an inspector, a broker, a, a mortgage broker, or a sales, you know, a real estate broker, it's those sorts of things. It's mortgage fraud is really bad. So it really, it depends. And I don't really know for hair braiders. I, they always taught us an ethics class or at the ARDC sort of CLEs that you go to every year, right? Like they usually say the quickest way to find yourself getting these beefs is they're not calling clients back. And when the ARDC starts looking into that, they find, oh, they commingled all of the client money or they blew all these deadlines or there's all these different things that they find that usually start with phone calls not getting returned. Um, yeah, these are that, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I was going to say you can elaborate on that, but I also wanted to ask with the medical and with the real estate issues that come up, are there certain triggers that you tend to see that lead to that outcome? Yes. With within real estate, for example, it's a, usually a disgruntled buyer or a disgruntled seller. And it's usually a disgruntled buyer where they didn't get what they thought they were purchasing and didn't buy, and therefore it's somebody else's fault. If, the, if they don't get the loan, it's the appraiser's fault because the property didn't pan out and they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't value the property as high as they should have so they could get the loan or as low as they should have so they could qualify for the loan and the seller as high as they should have so that the, the, that they, the, the, the buyer could have got. It really depends on which side, but usually it's a disgruntled person like that where they're not satisfied with the, with the appraisal. A lot of times it may be where they get in the home and they, for whatever reason, they think that something was hidden, you know, not disclosed properly. So while it was portrayed as being new and renovated, it turns out that what they bought was old and crappy. You know, and and, uh, and there there are a lot of defenses that you can assert, but those are the kinds of things that lead to the investigation. Sometimes, if it's if if it's someone who gets something in, I want to say innocent, but gets a lot of calls, they'll start to have a target on their back, and they'll be looking at that particular individual very closely. And and basically, everything they do it will be under uh, under some sort of a lens you know, if you will. So I wanted to follow back up on physicians because depending on your answer, I may have another question. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those bad two-part questions. With physicians, they can be reported to the National Practitioners Data Bank. And sometimes they have issues with hospital bylaws and stuff like that. Do you represent physicians in those situations too? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the National Data Bank, they, number one, they have to be, if they're reported in the state, they're automatically reported to the National Data Bank. Okay, the National Data Bank, and that's actually that's one of the things where, if you are investigated in one and you don't disclose it, and you have more than one license or you're licensed in more than one state, that in and of itself, that failure to report can get you in trouble. And sometimes there's a circular, there's a a, a circular problem where you get, let's say, Wisconsin, you're you know with you you have a license in Wisconsin, you have a license in Illinois, Wisconsin. And, and they don't necessarily have the same laws. There are certain things that may be legal in Wisconsin and not in Illinois or vice versa. You do something, you're accused of doing something in Wisconsin that's legal in Illinois, but for whatever reason, it's not proper in Wisconsin. And you get investigated and they say, oh, you know, it's all right. Don't worry about it. We'll give you what's called a administrative warning letter, which is not a discipline. And you're gone, finished. Well, Illinois finds out that you were investigated and that you didn't report it. They'll open up saying that, 
you were investigating, you didn't tell us that even though you got off, the, the failure to tell us is a violation. Then Wisconsin, you know, will you have to report that to Wisconsin that Wisconsin, that Illinois is investigating you on something that Wisconsin had let you go for, but you have to still report to Wisconsin or Wisconsin can get mad at you and report you. So it's very circular. So you have to make sure you report to everybody, whoever you have your license with. I know it sounds confusing but and illogical, but it's it really, you know, it, it's, a, it's a constant never ending battle sometimes. Well, that was gonna be then my next question, which is you're in all these different, let's say forums, right? You're dealing with the Department of Regulations, the data bank, hospital bylaw committees. Sure. How do you navigate all of that? There's probably not a good playbook of, here's how you deal with a disciplinary hearing at a hospital. Well, I, the first thing you have to look at is how serious the situation is. And if you're looking at, you know, you know whether it's a, a, a private entity and that's all that's looking at you, as opposed to a public entity, and whether you're dealing with criminal issues or not. Because if there are criminal issues that are involved, you may be looking at some Fifth Amendment situations. You do not have a Fifth Amendment right when it comes to your license. So if a state regular calls you, if you've done something wrong, and sometimes you'll have concurrent prosecutions where there's a criminal action going on, there's a licensing action going on, and there may be a civil action going on. You know, you were, and all of them may be impactful. And you decide, look, it's more important that I stay out of jail than I lose my license. So you take the Fifth Amendment, you know, because that may go first. A lot of times you can have get stays done. And so that the, the criminal prosecution has to go first. But that's not always the case. And if you don't know to ask to get that stay, it doesn't necessarily get done. So, you know, there are situations where you'll have a client. And you'll tell your client, you have to take, if if the most important thing is not going to jail, you got to take the fifth when it comes to your license. You're going to lose your license or you can you can argue maybe entitled to a, a hearing and plead that you really shouldn't lose your license. It's not that serious. You know, who knows what? Argue something in mitigation. But you don't have a Fifth Amendment right. And they can say, you know, we believe the complainant or we did our own investigation and we're going to suspend your license, you know, since you don't testify. Do you ever find yourself having to coordinate then with criminal lawyers who yeah. may be handling a, a matter? Yes. Yeah. Are you ever able to leverage? And I want to be careful here because obviously, you know, there's privilege and there's confidentiality and then there's what you're dealing with, which can, you know, really verge into a lot of areas. But do you ever find that you are able to help maybe... Uh, Mitigating some of the criminal damage can come with a licensure surrender or some some contrition in the license and some civil process that may lead to a different prosecution or something like that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, you have a physician who I was involved in a situation a physician of of unfortunately fondling little kids. You know, a terrible situation. And the advice that we gave that physician was surrender your license. You know. So at least they can say, you know, that's, that, that, that's, that's some sort of mitigating factor that you won't be in that situation. You know, you're, you're, you're preventing yourself, you're acknowledging some sort of improper behavior. And that's not, not necessarily a not guilty, but it's a, it's a mitigation. It's a reduction in the sentence. It's a, it's a reduction in the impact. And that's sometimes that you may be going for in a criminal prosecution where usually they, frequently they don't prosecute unless they're going to get a conviction. And, so, well, how do we, what do we do after that is, and that's 
trying to reduce the sentence. And we want to, you just mentioned the word contrition. When you deal with regulators, contrition is very, very important. It may not be in a malpractice case. In a malpractice case, you want to, you know, you may want to deny it ever happened, deny there's any, no damage, deny, you know, all these various accusations. With regulators, they understand mistakes happen. So it's all right to show some contrition. It may affect the malpractice case if there is one, but as far as your license goes, if you could show contrition, that goes a long way. You know, if you show cooperation, that goes a long way. If you're honest, that goes, I mean, you know, that's very, very important. If you're not honest, you're not credible, whatever you say doesn't mean anything. If you don't show con some contrition, they're not going to be necessarily very empathetic. And the whole thing with licensing and licensing hearings is empathy. It's trying to get that regulator to understand why you did what you did. You can acknowledge mistakes happen. In a malpractice case, that may not be the best task. You have to spend a lot of plates in your in your practice, Charlie. I mean, you're you're spinning plates with somebody. Maybe you're handling a civil malpractice defense, or they've got a separate counsel for that through insurance or what have you. They may have a criminal counsel, and then you're there, sort of tiptoeing in this regulatory area in between the other two worlds. That that's a high wire act. Yeah. Well, you yeah. It's you know it's something I'm used to, and that's that's what I've done. And you just sort of yelling and screaming doesn't work in my experience, in my field, you know, and you you have to, there's a lot of finessing and there is a lot of finessing. I don't think it so works. In, I don't think it works in our field either. I'll be honest with you, but that doesn't mean people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, yeah. It doesn't mean we don't have data where we want to do it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but so how often then are the relationships almost more important than the other aspects of what's happening? Like the, on the finessing side. I think it's really important. I think it's, it's, I'm fortunate. I've been around a long time. I, you know, the people I work with in my office have been around a, a long time and have had a lot of experience getting to know the administrative law judges, getting to know the, the prosecutors is really, really getting to know the investigators because you end up scratching in administrative law in the disciplinary practice. There's not a lot of discovery. It's, you don't have depositions. So it's, it's very much trying to find out what they have, what they're willing to give you. And again, it's by not being a jerk and letting know, and sometimes giving up stuff, you know, giving, you know, cooperation can go a really long way and asking, you know, and as a result, they may be willing to do a censure or a reprimand as opposed to, you know, a suspension, you know, contrary, it's, it's sort of, you know, the, the, the worst thing they always talk about or when they file a complaint is that, you know, revocation, well, a revocation may not necessarily be the worst. A suspension can be worse. And an open, you know, an, an indefinite suspension is worse than a revocation. It's it's illogical. It doesn't sound logical. Why is that? It's a suspension. And that's because with a revocation, there's a period that after a period of time, you can reapply for a license. You know, if you lose your law license, you can reapply after so many years. And the they have to they can look at your they, they can look at the the application and they can issue what's called an intent to deny. Well, once they issue you the intent to deny, you can then file a, a complaint, you know, for a hearing. And there's a whole whole due process, due process procedure to get, you know, them to maybe change their mind or whatever. With the suspension, it's the void voting. No, we don't want to lift the suspension. There's really nothing you can do. There's no 
you know, they haven't, they, they haven't, your license has not been rescinded. You've been suspended. And we don't feel that this is, you know, we don't feel that the suspension should be lifted yet. And there's, they, you know, like I said, there's nothing you can do so they can make an open-ended suspension. A one-year, they'll say a one-year open-ended suspension. That can be 10 years. It can go on forever and ever and ever. And there's nothing you can do. But there will be people that plead to that or agree to that, not realizing that. Another thing that you'll have is fines versus fees. A fine is a discipline. You know, you get a $500 fine. They gave me a $500 fine, uh, paid it, and I'm gone. I'm good. That's a discipline. If you have a discipline, you got to report to your malpractice a carrier. You got to, if you're ever expert, they're always going to say you've been disciplined. You know, that will come out if, and things. And whereas a fee is not. If he is not, it just, it's just, it's not defined as a discipline in Illinois, that is. And so you can get these things where you paid a fee and that was it and gone. But you have to know to ask for that. You have to know, you know, that that option may be available. But I, you'll also have situations where the state will overreach. And I've been now in a few cases where they did overreach. They didn't have the authority to do what they did. And now they've, you know, and as a result, you file suits against the state and they rescind the, the, the punishment. But a lot of times the damage has been done. I've got a situation right now where the, the professional basically paid a $500 fine 20 years ago. It, it's tagged him forever as a discipline against his license. He's a professional. He's an expert witness. It's always brought up. Turned out that the state didn't have the jurisdiction to do what they did. They were overreaching. They've now, we filed a lawsuit. They've rescinded the, the, uh, the discipline. It's going away. It's being expunged essentially, but the damage was done. And for 20 years, he lived with it before he, you know, came to us and decided he wanted to, you know, he had heard that it may be, cause I had given some talks about overreaches in, in, in his particular industry profession. And he decided he wanted to, after 20 years, even though it was only $500, it was costing him enough aggravation that he wanted to, to test it and go, you know, get it, hopefully get it expunged. And we were successful. The state settled it. That's a good segue. So, and we asked this, so we had a, one of our other really awesome guests we've had somewhat recently was a guy named James Dopke, Jim Dopke, who's a, a, an ex RDC attorney, who's really, really sharp. And I to our listeners at home, I encourage you to go back and listen to Jim's episodes. Do that, do that bit. But one of the things we asked Jim is, you know, we 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 take the ethics beefs and the fear of an ethics beef in our um, in our area of work very seriously. I think we all, as attorneys, live in constant fear that somebody will not that we're all doing misconduct, but you always fear that somebody's going to look at you sideways, and. So on the one hand, you know, I, I acknowledge, I suspect most ARDC complaints, for example, are very viable and there's good reasons for them. But do you find that there are industries where people are just constantly getting beef for no reason or some of these some of these types of licensing claims really are just, you know, this is just disgruntled people and you're you're in there fighting like hell to keep their record clean because this is a common you know this is this is frivolous that sort of thing yeah and it's usually in bad times you know bad times bring out the worst because it's somebody who either wants to get you know it's revenge it's 
it's somebody's grass is greener, you know, how come I didn't get the same advantage? Why am I suffering and they're not? And things like that. But it, as far as, you know, the frivolousness, it really, it, it, a lot of times it depends on, the, on who the victim is and why they think they're a victim. And they think that they'll get an advantage by filing a complaint that has to be investigated, which if you, if you make a complaint to the state, it has to be investigated. You know they'll get it. They'll get an advantage in some sort of civil action that they have. A lot of times, though, it's, it's unintended consequences. You'll have disgruntled partners, one squealing on the other, thinking they'll get, and, and or, or or not squealing on the other, but one turning the other one in theoretically, not realizing it, that the entire practice. You have physicians who are fighting on a partnership, and they think one, one physician thinks that you know the other guy is behaving badly and not doing these things not realizing that the entire practice can be shut down, even if just one is behaving badly. You know, the, the one that, that, that he, the other physician is behaving badly. And so they don't really think about that all the time, but it does happen. You ever find these cases sort of intersecting more overtly with employment law where like, hey, somebody's job, you know, not a solo in their field. Oh, definitely. Greater, but... definitely. I mean, where you'll, you'll have, again, disgruntled co-workers who are disgruntled owners. And, you know, because they think that one co-owner is not pulling his weight or one physician is not pulling his weight or one co-manager is not pulling his weight or the other ones are against me, whatever. I know they're ripping everybody off. I know they're doing this. And I turn them into the state without realizing it, that it's the entire practice that will get investigated and the entire practice can be shut down including their, their practice, their livelihood. It's, it's a lot of times it's short-sighted, but it's, you know, it is a factor. It does happen. And it, it happens with regularity, particularly when firms are breaking apart. You know, one, yeah. wants, one partner wants to get a, an advantage over the other and thinks yeah. that you'll get it. Often when I'm talking to physicians, one thing I, the thing with physicians is if there is an exit that's bad, it can, and really any regulated professional, it can get bad or it can get ugly really quickly because you can have a report to the bank, you can have peer review issues, all this stuff. And so in my experience, at least, it seems like once you're having an issue with another coworker, it's almost better just to be able to walk away and go someplace else before it gets to a report. How do you handle kind of that type of situation of someone comes to you and says, you know, my business partner and I just can't get along. What do I do? Well, I, I, you know, it sort of depends if, if they have some sort of written partnership agreement and there's some sort of severance, severance package in that, in that agreement. You know, you can follow that where one buys out the other or they decide to have some sort of partition agreement. You know, that can, that can happen. If it's just they're both, you know, I want a divorce, which is what it is, then it, it, it sort of depends on how rational they want to be. You know, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's, you, it's very emotional. And once emotion gets involved, it's bad to represent yourself. The super cool thing about your practice seems to be that you deal with like 400, you know, professionals or different industries. But then it's also all these different areas of law that kind of intersect. There is an element of employment law. There is an element of a business divorce, negotiating things, the relationship side. It, that part to me seems really fascinating. Yeah, I, well, I agree. I mean, I, I'm very lucky 
that I sort of fell into the profession. I fell in the this the area of the profession, the niche of the profession that I fell into. I, you know, Max before saying, you know, we, off the air, we're talking about, you know, you know, an asshole this or asshole that. I felt when I first started practice, I was an asshole for a living. That was my job. You know, you I followed the orders I was given. I didn't. I was mean and a jerk and. I, I worked for these that really didn't care. They just wanted, you know, the file open, close, shut, gone, move on to the next one. And it really didn't, it wasn't about justice. It wasn't about fairness. It wasn't about anything. It was getting the file over for as little as you possibly could or moving on to the next one. And it was not very gratifying and at all, which was souring, you know, and difficult for me. But, you know, eventually that change and that evolved because of what I do. I save, I help keep people's livelihood. I can help, you know, not everyone I represent is a bad person. You know, not everyone I represent is a, you know, slime or scumbag. Some are, but, but, you know, many of them are not. Many of them are innocent. Many of them have been brought in on something where they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing somebody a favor. They thought they were, they weren't doing anything wrong. You know, there wasn't any intent to, to harm the public or members of the public or, or you know, and do anything bad. Sometimes they did because it was expedient, but a lot of, they didn't have any real ill will at harm. And I was helping them keep their license, keep their job because they get this nasty grant, their stomach drops to the floor and it's, oh shit, what am I going to do? You know, what are, how am I, how are my kids going to eat? How am I going to support myself? How am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to do all these variety of things? And I was helping them keep that livelihood, keep that job and became very gratifying because I was, you know, again, for those people that are basically innocent victims, you know, where they're brought in or they're with a broad sweep, the state necessarily is not very discriminating when they go in and they clean house or the prosecutors, they get everybody, you know, whether they start at the, the weakest links and move up or not. Well, a lot of times the weakest links are just weaklings, you know, they're not, you know, and, and they themselves may be victims. And to me, it was, I, I felt a lot better about that and doing that. And the first, and I got into this particular area by helping a broker, a real estate broker, who got into trouble with a disgruntled buyer. And uh, this is like five years in practice. And I, the, 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 his brother asked me if I'd help. And I said, I can try. And I got him off. And one, you know, from that word of mouth spread and to, you know, that's how I, you know, that's how I found what I did, but it was much more gratifying than what I originally did, which was investigating these, looking for opportunities to decline, you know, a claim in any way to read a insurance policy very closely to say, oh, there's no coverage because they violated some, you know, little nothing that's in some sort of policy somewhere so that you know, this company wouldn't have to pay this claim that these people deserve to get paid on. Right. And I think it's like with criminal law, right? Like people make mistakes. Sometimes you get caught. Sometimes you don't. It doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't mean you don't get a second chance and it doesn't mean you can't eat. And like, right. you know, somebody, somebody once at, I, in a past life, I did a little criminal law and somebody asked me, you have a hard time sleeping or whatever. It's like, look, sometimes we screw up and we find ourselves in a position where we need to mitigate the damage and and the job of someone like yourself right is to help them out of the trouble they may have deliberately or accidentally or just absent-mindedly caused for themselves and and, the, and there are degrees i mean there are there are many times 
where you will counsel the person, give up your license. You know, that's, you should give up your license. You should, you know, do this, you should accept this punishment, but accept the punishment and learn from it. You know, whereas there are other ones where, you know, that's not the counsel you give them, but it, it's, it's, you know, it really depends. I mean, you know, whether you're defending an ax murderer who is really a, a terrible person to somebody who went too fast and was speeding in their car because they were in a hurry because their daughter was crying in the back seat and they wanted her to, you know, they wanted to get home quickly, you know, and they saw there was nobody, you know, and they went through a stop sign or something, knowing that, you know, seeing that there was nobody coming in the opposite direction or, or something. Right. It's a left turn on a red when no one's looking. Right. Yeah, something. Yeah. So that's going to be an incredibly tough conversation to have with someone to say, hey, give up your license. Yeah, it, it, it can be. It, it can be. But again, it, it, it sort of depends on where they are and what they've done. You know, you with with repeat offenders, it's a lot easier because they should have learned the first time, you know, with or habitual habitual offenders. It, it's, it's a lot easier, but it, it's a hard thing when somebody unfortunately is involved in some sort of gets knee deep in a mortgage fraud situation where they just didn't know how to get out of it. And it's, you have to tell them, you're going to have to start over. You know, we may be able to avoid some criminal prosecution. We may be able to do these things, but they don't want you practicing anymore. You know, you're going to have to find something else. And, but that's the choice that, you know, it's that or jail, you know. It's a tough choice, but jail's not fun. No. Yeah. All right. Well, Amit, it is your favorite part. And I think you're going to be able to spring this one on Shirley. Yeah, so Charlie, we like to end our episodes with something positive. We call it a shout out of the week. So it can be just something good in the world. It can be a kid, it can be a book, a TV show, a nonprofit, pretty much anything. Just something you want to tell our listeners about that's positive. Sure. All right. Well, I, you know, you are springing this on me, but I, I work for, I'm on an advisory board of a charter school system here in Chicago. I actually have 35 schools throughout the Midwest in Ohio in Michigan, in, in uh, Missouri, Wisconsin, Illinois. And we're on something called the Future Institute. And basically what we're, the, the, all of these charter schools all cater to first generation, lower income, single family, single parent family, kids, first generation, either, either first generation to go to college, graduate from high school, or first generation emigrates, you know, and, and they all have this opportunity to go to college. They, they, they're, they're, they're pushed by these various schools to get into college. They all get in. But believe it or not, a very, very small percentage stay in. You either go to, in the first place to college, and they all get scholarships. Not all, but many of them. Most get scholarships. Very few, it's a very low percentage that actually stay in and matriculate all the way through the four years and get a degree. And this Future Institute program that I'm part of, we're trying to change that. There are a whole, a wide variety of reasons why these kids drop out or don't begin. And it can be both academic or non-academic. You know, the academic is they just weren't smart. Or, or they didn't get the study habit, they didn't learn the study habits or have the self-discipline, do whatever. They're non-academic. They got scholarships, but they used to be an integral part of feeding their family, of helping feed their family by working jobs. Now suddenly they're at school, they're t- not only are they not contributing to household income, but 
they have to now pay $20,000 for room and board. You know, they have to do, or they don't have winter coats and they don't go to class in the winter or something. And we're trying to change that and at least educate these kids that they have opportunities there. They don't have to go to, you know, they get into schools like Princeton and Yale and various places, great schools, but it's really not appropriate for, you know, I, I, it sounds sort of biased, but for their situation and where they are and how they are, it may not necessarily be appropriate. It would be much better shared by going to University of Chicago or Northwestern or DePaul because they could stay at home or live at home or be part of or take six years rather than four years. And it's just something that it's it's a program, it's an institute that we are trying to make this awareness to these kids that they have. They don't have to feel they got to go to a four-year school. They got to go to Harvard if they get into Harvard or Princeton or Yale or something like that and stay there for four years and get their degree because right away, most of them won't. And we want to get it so that most of them will. Charlie, is there is there a call to action we can give folks? Because what we can do is we'll have our producer, Steve, put a link to the Future Institute if it's useful in um, the show notes. Yeah, there, like there, there is. I, naturally, I don't know what the... That's okay. We sprung this on you, and I'll, and we'll I'll share. It. And, and I'll yeah. share. That's the one thing we spring on our listeners because it's not something you really need to prepare for. We want we want to ambush them with something nice. We don't ambush with professional yeah. questions. Yeah. We ambush with stuff like this. So we will to our listeners at home. We will get that put in the show notes. So Charlie's not on the spot here. I know we're having some sort of a homecoming fundraiser, basically, at the Chicago Math and Science Academy, which is on. I want to say Clark in Rogers Park on, on November 17th. I don't know more details than that, but I know we're having something at that school then. Well, we will get the link. We'll have Charlie get that to us later and we'll we'll get that put in the show notes. Charlie, if somebody would like to contact you because they've got a licensing issue, they may have a client who has a licensing issue, they got a question for you, they want to refer to you, they just like you and want to talk to you. How do they get a hold of you? Sure. And the contact the firm, which is Franklin Greenfrag, Chan and Capilla, or my email is C. Franklin at fgcclaw.com or call me at 847-701-2250 or contact Max or Amit and they'll, they'll contact me. Well, Charlie, thank you for coming on today for talking to Amit and I about what you do, the important work helping people navigate what sounds like sometimes very Byzantine regulatory systems and and keep their livelihoods and just for your really thoughtful answers and information today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everybody at home for listening. Please subscribe and share if you haven't. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.